Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the show, I welcome Billy Sinkford from the Made Bicycle Show in Portland, Oregon. You may recall, if you're a listener from last year, that I attended the show in 2023 and had dozens of interviews with fantastic frame builders from around the country. I super enjoyed the show, the experience, the overall vibe of the show. So I was thrilled to get some communication from Echos Communications that the show is on again for 2024. I wanted to get a little bit of the backstory and inspiration for the show and learn some secrets about the upcoming show in 2024. Little did I know at the end of this episode, I was going to learn about yet another exciting new development. I'll leave you with that, and we'll wait till the end until we find out that secret from Billy. But before we get started, I do need to thank this week's sponsor, AG1. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for me, for the last decade, I've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel energized and ready to take on the day. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, and pre- and probiotics and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that also is powerfully simple. Let me go back a decade and explain why AG1 became an essential part of my daily routine. I come to recognize that nutritionally, I just wasn't covering my bases with my diet. I was often cutting corners and just not getting the nutrients and vitamins I was looking for. I started thinking about taking a multivitamin or multiple multivitamins, and that didn't drive with me as well. I knew I wasn't going to be able to maintain consistency without something simple in my life. But with AG1, I discovered that it's a simple powder that's mixed with water, can do it very quickly, and it has everything and more than I was looking for. So I introduced it into my life, and I haven't gone back over a decade, which is pretty incredible for a product like this. So if there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. I think they've been part of the show for over three years now. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the gravel ride. That's drink ag1.com slash the gravel ride to check it out today. With that behind us, let's jump right into my conversation with Billy. Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. I know it's a busy week for you guys at MADE, so I appreciate you making the time and I'm excited to kind of just talk about the show. I did a bunch of episodes and certainly had a bunch of conversations with frame builders during my visit to MADE in 2023. So I'm excited to just talk about the plans for 2024, but to set the stage for the conversation, we always like to kind of roll back a little bit and just understand how did you develop a passion for the bike? Did you grow up riding? So why don't you start off by just letting us know where you grew up and how you discovered the bike and how that journey 
ultimately took you to kind of being in the industry as a professional? Uh, well, first off, thanks for coming to MADE in 2023. Uh, it was awesome to have you and love the videos that you put out surrounding it. Uh, and we're stoked for 2024. We'll get, we'll get there, though. Uh, I was a bike messenger in Boston in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, that was my first job working on the bike uh, <laughs> all day, uh, rain or snow uh, in Boston. And did that uh, for quite some time. Eventually ended up moving to San Francisco, uh, where I also was a, a bike messenger after a brief stint uh, in Divinity School, uh, which I decided was not not for me. And from there, I started working with Chrome Industries and started working in kind of the urban cycling uh, field of things. And, you know, for lack of a better term, I, I weaseled and worked my way into uh, a job at Chrome. And um, my the director of marketing at Chrome, Rob Reedy, who is my business partner at Echoes, he's the CEO of Echoes, and I'm the VP, uh, gave me a chance and gave me a job. And we worked together for years over at Chrome and eventually uh, founded Echoes Communications, which is a PR and marketing firm for the active outdoors uh, with a huge focus on cycling. And I am fortunate enough to be the vice president of that and manage uh, manage our cycling stuff at Echoes Communications. Uh, so I'm that's curious, Billy, if you, if you go back to those days as a courier, my experience with the courier community, there there were certainly some couriers who were bike racers, bike lovers, lovers of all things bikes, and they discovered courier, being a courier as a vocation that allowed them to you know, work on their bike and stay fit. I've also heard from many of those same bike racer couriers that it's a horrible way to train because it's so hard on your body. So I'm just curious, were you you know, part of that courier culture and the bike was a, a, a work mechanism and you fell in love with that, you know, the fixie kind of culture, or was there another thread of your passion for the bike that was mountain biking or road racing at the time? When I was in Boston, it was definitely about the culture and community, and the bike was just the tool that allowed for all of that to, to happen. When I moved out to San Francisco, the company that I worked for, Godspeed Courier, uh, we had a race team. I was partially in charge of all the sponsorships and helped out a lot of the, the company and definitely uh, started wearing spandex and shaving our legs and going and doing local crits. And at that time, road races, it was all road uh, for me back then in the San Francisco Bay Area. And competed in all kinds of road races uh, underneath the Godspeed Courier banner. But I was uh, I was a heavy dude. I still am. A, I'm a big guy. And I never, uh, I went out and just beat the crap out of everybody for the first 20 miles and then basically did an 80 mile bike ride by myself after <laughs> the rest <laughs> of the race. But I, I absolutely loved it. And it was a different kind of community and that definitely carried over. And, you know, I certainly by no means have kept up with it or pinned a number in a long time. I did last year for, for a minute, but uh, definitely still enjoy being sometimes at the pointy end of the spear. Um, but yeah, yeah messengering definitely brought me into that race culture. And then that carried over into my time in the industry without a doubt. Yeah, obviously, like Chrome had its parts of his origin from that culture and that vibe that 
commuter worker, the, you know, the, the well-constructed bags and later the shoes and clothing that they, they brought into the mix as you kind of represented them and were kind of earning your chops on the business side of the bike industry. What were you learning in that time that you kind of took forward about how brands need to be represented to cyclists in order to grow and be relevant? Working in the urban cycling side of things first was was really interesting. And I think it relates to stuff in the handmade market. I think it relates to cycling as a whole because we and sometimes think of ourselves as this huge entity, right? And in reality, cycling is a niche sport and a niche hobby. Uh, so looking at it through that lens and then knowing that urban cycling was a niche within that niche. Uh, we called it Don't Timbuktu It back in the day. Timbuktu started stopping selling messenger bags and started selling travel luggage and, and briefcases for, for a brief minute. And at Chrome, we just made sure we didn't Timbuktu it. And we were trying to stay with the core, sponsoring messenger races, making sure that we not only sponsored them, but were actively present at the races and engaging with the community and bringing a cool vibe and having a good time. And that I think has carried over into everything that we've done at Echoes and, and hopefully what we've brought to uh, the cycling community at large. And that's be present, be there and, uh, and be a part of the community. Yeah. I think there's so much to obviously the storytelling of these brands that is so critical in how they resonate with fans and consumers of these products. And it's really easy to lose it uh, quite quickly. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, having a good mission statement, understanding what your brand is and actually standing by that and standing behind it, standing behind the community that you're you're making products for and hopefully an active part of that community. Do those you're you're going to be on the side of right. Yeah. You mentioned some of the work you do at Echoes and just to set the stage for when we later talk about the Made show. Can you talk about some of the clients you've had the privilege of working with? over the years, and then we'll get into what was the genesis behind the idea for MADE. Uh, sure. We have uh, had the privilege and pleasure and honest, I'd say honor of, of working with a lot of really amazing brands and folks within those brands. Uh, we started definitely on the urban cycling tip, but with that, we also, you know, feedback sports and, and mission workshop were our two first clients as an agency. Uh, we launched and ran the Levi's Commuter Program uh, for the first three years of doing that and did all of the global or national events, rather, uh, bike shops and community building stuff around that. And that was super fun and and rad to to work along the Levi's, uh, Levi's crew and their team. Blackburn, uh, we've worked with Greg LeMond. Uh, currently, we've got an awesome, I guess, what's most relevant to the handmade community Mosaic Cycles, Argonaut Cycles, Low. Uh, we're currently uh, and have been for quite some time working with Moots. Paul Components. Paul is a dear friend of mine, and we worked with him for several years. Abbey Bike Tools. So everything. Uh, we brought Bosch to market here in the United States a couple months before Shimano got, got into the e-bike game here. Uh, worked with a ton of e-bike brands. Um, so companies large and small, we are just started working with Campagnolo, uh, which is phenomenal. And we're really thrilled about that. 
Uh, we've had the pleasure of working with over 100 bike brands, and I've gotten to Floyd's of Leadville and Floyd Landis, dear friend, and we managed all of the uh, PR and some of the marketing for all of his CBD stuff and uh, and his Floyd's Fied Cannabis as well. So gotten to work alongside people that I idolized when I was a messenger and had them become not only business associates, but folks that I call friends. Um, so it's been it's been a wild, wild journey and uh, and we're still we're still, I think, just getting started. Amazing. We were talking a little bit offline about the North American Handmade Bike Show, and it sounds like you've had a relationship, understandably so, with the brands you tended to represent with that show for, for many years. Can you just talk about kind of your memories of that show and the place it kind of held in the industry for you? Oh, I loved NABs. Absolutely loved it. Uh, used to go just as a you know marketing and PR guy for the brands that we worked with. Uh, so always had five or six builders or brands uh, on the show floor that we were working with. Uh, we did, uh, for a brief period of time, for a little under two years, actually manage all the PR for the show itself when it was in Salt Lake City. Uh, obviously, the show is not around anymore. And uh, Don and I have had a tumultuous uh, relationship throughout the last uh, 15 years, for sure. Um, but what Don did and the North American Handmade Bike Show, I think, was phenomenal for the builder community. And nothing that we're doing, I think, would be possible without the groundwork that went into that, um, both from Don, so kudos to him, and then also the builder community for for showing up and being present and you know being willing to put their energy and effort into something that has turned out to be really, really great for, for the builder community. So I think the yeah. show was great. It was sad to see it go, but it also uh, gave us the opportunity to start made, which is something that about ten i mean it's been ten years plus since we've been kind of talking about potentially helping put together uh, a different version of a handmade bike show, a more modern version of it and uh, with nabs no longer taking place, the builder community asked us if we would uh, step up to the plate and make it happen. And, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to, to do that. So it's been, been pretty cool. Yeah. You know, obviously like with NABs going away, there was this pent up demand and enthusiasm for the builders to get together to your point. NABs was just such a great gathering of such a diverse group of artisan frame builders. That was so different than any other bicycle show that was around at the time. When you started to see like NABS is not there, we are seeing this opportunity, we're going to take this mantle. It seems like it would be a daunting challenge to go from that idea to actually producing made. What was the decision-making process? What did that look like for you? Or did you ask yourself, well, if we can just get 20 brands to commit early, I feel like there's enough momentum that we can do this. I'm just curious to get into your your mind and your colleagues' minds about when was the go, no go decision and what was that process like? Well, COVID, we had wanted to do this before COVID. Luckily, we did not pull the trigger on uh, any form of trade show prior to that because that would have definitely changed things. Uh, you know, Nobody could travel. Nobody would have been able to show up. Uh, the community support, uh, my partner Rob and I, uh, spoke to a bunch of builders, spoke to a bunch of brands, 
brands that support the builder community. So Chris Kang specifically being one of them, who we also we do uh, manage their PR and everybody, you know, one after one, people said, yes, please do this. And yes, we'll help support it. And there weren't any no's. And we just kept hearing yes. So we started looking at it from a logistics standpoint and realized that that we could pull this off and that it that it could be awesome. Originally, it was supposed to be entirely outside uh, because of the pandemic. And we didn't know what that was going to look like. And we kind of wanted to safeguard the show. And there's a very, very brief window in Portland where the weather is fantastic. <laughs> uh, and we, we've got it right now for made It was wildly unseasonably hot during the uh, the first year of the show. But uh, the venue that we found is phenomenal uh, and old abandoned shipyard. Uh, I mean, you you saw it yourself. It's it's perfect for the handmade uh, market. Probably wouldn't work for a bike show where Track and Specialized and Giant wanted to show up and do their things. But for those that are actually working with their hands and, you know, making metal more metal, uh, super cool environment uh, for them to be in. And the venue lined up. And after that, you know, the, I won't say that all the pieces magically fell together. There was a lot of hard work from the entire team at made behind the scenes, but uh, it came together and it, you know, hard work. And then the support of the builder community uh, really brought it all together. And year one was fantastic. I mean, I know you didn't get to go for the consumer days, but we very purposefully had time so that you were able to be there and spend time creating content and talking with builders. And the, the builder community hadn't been together in in years because of the pandemic and the lack of nabs even before that. So we yeah. carved out a little bit of extra time for that. And that was super fun and got to take 200 builders, media and industry people and a, my favorite ride through Forest Park, uh, which was phenomenal. So it wasn't just the show itself. I think it was the entire experience of being in Portland together. And it was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. To get the food trucks in the back parking lot, everything was just a lot of fun. And I totally agree. It, it was, you know, nobody had to feel awkward about the style of booth they created or what they were bringing because it wasn't this super polished, super dome of convention centers or anything like that that we saw at Interbike. It was really, it felt very native to the handmade bicycle community for sure. And I think this year, you know, a lot of the, I'd say 90% of the exhibitors, you know, we made a few videos. We folks understood what they were walking into to an extent, but it's one thing to see it online and read about it. It's another thing to actually be in the venue. And now most of the exhibitors are coming back for, for year two and they all know what things look like. So I think it'll be really cool to see how people take the space and make their little, their portion of it, their own and work with it. Yeah. So I think year one was rad and there were some folks that had some killer, killer booth designs that you would never, ever in your wildest dreams see at Eurobike or Interbike or Sea Otter. Um, and I think it worked out great that we weren't entirely outside because looking at some consumer facing shows, which are all awesome, but it's a sea of 10 by 10 and 10 by 20 pop up tents. And we encourage people to bring tents so that they've got their branding, but some of the cooler booths were, you know, handmade from wood that people brought with them. And it was super neat to see not only the folks showing this amazing work that they're doing, uh, but then also 
you know, building a booth out that reflects that was, was yeah, really yeah. unique. A hundred percent. It's just sort of, you know, everybody in the handmade community is so creative and just to allow them to have that freedom to develop their own displays, super cool to see. And super fun for me to see some of the frame builders that I hadn't seen in a while, but also like a whole, probably 30% of them I'd never heard of before. And it was just great having that opportunity to get their point of view, to see their manufacturing techniques, to see how, you know, they're taking, you know, in the instance of maybe frameworks, taking aerospace tooling and machines that aren't always available to other artisans and using that because they have access to it to create just kind of a unique process for creating a bike. Super fascinating to talk to guys like that. There were, I have been, and because we've been extremely deep in the handmade community for a long time. And I'm fortunate to call a lot of these folks my friends. And prior to putting on Made, I really thought that I had a pretty good grasp of what was going on in the handmade community and, and who was who. And one of the biggest things that we did with the show was offering subsidized space, making sure that Bike Flights was helping with discounted shipping. Uh, there was not like a large host hotel that people felt they needed to stay at. So the show became really accessible. And a lot of the younger builders and builders that did not show up at NABS came and exhibited at MADE. Also, some of the, the legends of my generation, not not to totally date myself, but they're not spring chickens anymore. And some of them are hanging up the torch uh, and or don't want to stand on their feet for for three days. Um, they've, they've passed that. So having a lot of the younger builders and new builders at the show and not having the new builder row be in the absolute back of the hall like it was at NABS, I made sure we were dispersing, you know, that, that you a new builder was directly next to an established builder. And unless you're super deep in the industry, there was no way to tell the difference. You, you walked up to pretty much anybody exhibiting and you were there to hear their story and not, uh, I don't know, it was really, it was cool. And I had to not, <laughs> I did not spend a lot of time looking at the bikes during the show. You know, which was really, really hard. I love taking uh, photographs. I spent a lot of time documenting bikes in my free time, and I purposefully didn't bring a camera to the show and tried not to ogle the work during the show. Late late at night after everybody had gone home, that's when I did it. But uh, it was just phenomenal craftsmanship throughout the entire hall. It was awesome. I was there for, obviously, the media day and partway into the – the consumer day started, I think, around noon on the Friday, and I was there yep. till about two. So I just started to get the first wave of consumers. What was that like, you know, midday Saturday or whenever peak traffic was, if you were there as a consumer? There were a couple minutes where we were we were pushing the limits of what that hall could do, for sure. Uh, we had far more people than we expected. Uh, it was awesome. I mean, just so full, uh, unfortunately, extremely hot. And we had fans running like crazy and uh, ran out to get every little bit of water that we could. Unfortunately, there were forest fires uh, in other parts of Oregon and Washington and all the water trucks and everything that we had kind of helped get together was unavailable. Um, but we made it work. Uh, there were a 
couple thousand consumers in that hall on Saturday. We had over 5,000 people come through uh, between when it opened to the public on Friday and when we closed the doors for teardown uh, on Sunday. So for year one, that was unbelievable. But the energy was super high and people were there. They were talking with builders, looking at bikes. Uh, it was It was really cool to watch. It was fun to have a quiet moment where media industry folks we all got to kind of hug and high five and and then it was when we opened the gates on, yeah. on friday it was uh it's a whole whole nother it was almost two shows in one quite frankly yeah certainly a three-day grind for those builders to talk to everybody and keep their energy high and we're we're actually changing the format of the show this year so we had a full day and a half that was for media and industry to kind of catch up. And we did a poll of all the builders and brands after the show. And it was honestly split about 50-50 as to whether or not people wanted that extra time or we would do just a half day of media hours uh, before we opened to the public. And for the second year of the show, we're going to give it a shot the other way and do uh, Friday morning will be just media and industry. And then again, we'll open to the public and do Saturday and Sunday. But that We'll make the show shorter. And for a lot of these builders, regardless of what size or scale operation they are, every day that they're not at the shop, that's a bike that's not going out to the customer. And this yeah. is not a large frame, a large bicycle company for that matter, where it's happening no matter whether the director of marketing is on the floor. Like you're there talking to yeah. the builder, and that person is not making a frame for a customer. So we're trying to be cognizant. <clears throat> excuse me, cognizant of that and do everything that we're going to do, but keep it a little bit shorter so that they can get back to the shop and uh, make sure that they're doing what they need to do for their customers. Yeah. Do you have a sense on the consumer side in terms of where people were traveling in from if they were? Obviously, Portland's host to such a great community. I'm sure there was tons of Portland locals uh, who could drive in and enjoy the show. It was a first year show, but did you get a sense that people were flying in to experience this? From the moment we announced it, we had folks from all over the world that said that they were coming. There were people from Japan, Australia, uh, Europe coming from all over. Uh, a lot of folks from the East Coast, I think. California, Portland, I mean, were dominant without a doubt because it's very easy for them to travel or much easier for them to travel to the show. but. Yeah. Some of the first emails that we got after announcing the show were from fans of custom bikes and people that own custom bikes that wanted to come and they were going to make this their vacation uh, from Japan, yeah. Australia. And uh, it was really rad to have this be a global show, not only reflected in the builders that were there, because we also had builders from all over the world. This was not just Portland and California builders. We had folks from the East Coast and uh, from all over the place. And this year for 2024, uh, the roster of builders and brands that are attending reflects that even more deeply. We've got folks all coming back and then new folks coming from Australia. And we've got folks coming from the West or East Coast rather that came and kind of peeped the show a little bit to make sure that it was something that they wanted to come to. And now uh, now they're they're coming out for year two and, and are going to be part of the show. So that's a good segue into anything you'd want to highlight for year two. Any changes? Are there going to be more, more booths, more people? What what can we expect in twenty twenty four? More explosions, more people. Hopefully, no explosions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 
I think we've got certainly more builders, more brands. Uh, we had to extend the floor plan. So there's going to be an outdoor area as well as the indoor area this year. Uh, more food carts, more coffee. Uh, we'll still have the beer garden over there and we're going to make sure to pop a little shade on top of that so that people can sit out there, uh, even if it is a little bit hot. Uh, but I think there just are going to be a variety of builders from even farther uh, across the world. And I'm the coolest thing that I've seen is we made it a big point to have subsidized space and to invite builders from all over the place and to make sure that if they needed help financially, that we could still have them at the show. We wanted to make sure that the builder community was represented as a whole. And there are builders that showed up and took those subsidized spaces that are now getting 10 by 20s at the show uh, that are saying that it was so amazing that they want to come back and have an even larger presence. So that to me was the coolest part is yeah. the show and the model works. They're, you know, that that really warmed my heart quite a bit to see that happen in several instances. Yeah, that says a lot. Tell us the dates of the Portland, Oregon show and where people can find out more information about it. Uh, yeah, made.bike is our website. You don't need a .com. We've got .bike, so just made.bike. And we will uh, make a lot of noise when we start selling uh, consumer-facing tickets for the show. Uh, the floor plan is ostensibly sold out, and I still have a bit more of the wait list to, to work through. So uh, if you're interested in uh, being a part of the show, definitely get in touch sooner rather than later so we can see what we can do. Uh, but it'll be this summer, uh, August 23rd through 25th in Portland, Oregon at Zydell Yards, which is right on the Portland waterfront just outside of downtown. Uh, and you can find us on Instagram at made.bike as well. And is there a risk that consumer tickets may sell out? Do people need to get on a mailing list or become aware pretty early in your process? Uh, it certainly can't hurt. Uh, we do have fire marshal limits that we're working within. Uh, but I think we can very easily accommodate double the number of uh, consumers that we have uh, last year. So we're hoping that people buy them in advance one, because then it's less paper. Uh, it's a lot easier and we're able to get people through quicker. Uh, but we have not announced when we're going to start selling tickets to the public yet. We'll wait a little bit probably as, uh, as the snow and, and rains start to start to thaw and stop falling here. We'll start thinking about it. That makes sense. Well, everybody go over to made.bike and definitely get it on your radar for next year. It's a phenomenal, fun show. So many beautiful bikes out there. And for those of you in an entirely different part of the world, I think we've got some breaking news we can talk about now, Billy, about another made show. Yeah. So this year, made is uh, expanding our footprint a little bit, and we are headed to Australia. Uh, actually, wow. we're headed to Australia before uh, the the main made show here in uh, in the United States, and it's going to be held in Melbourne. Uh, we've got a wonderful director of show, Andy White from Thixo, who is a longstanding friend, uh, mine personally and of the agency uh, as a whole. We've worked with him on a number of projects throughout the year, and he is extremely dedicated to documenting and being a part of the handmade culture in Australia. And we've already got commitments from and interest from Bomb, Prova, Partington Wheels, The Lost Workshop, Bellocraft, 
and many, many more. And that is going to be taking place June 28th and 29th uh, at the Darabin uh, Velodrome uh, just outside of Melbourne. And that also is coinciding with uh, Andy's, uh, he has a large event called the, the Melbourne Roubaix, uh, which takes place on the cobblestones uh, in, in Melbourne, which I've never personally got a chance to, to witness. I've only witnessed it uh, via the magic of the internet. And I'm looking forward to going over and being a part of that event and then uh, being present, uh, checking out the builder community in Australia. Yeah, that's super exciting. I'd be curious to see if it's drawing builders from other parts of Asia um, into that show. And what a fascinating view you'll have to kind of go over and see that community and how it differs and how it's similar to what we have here in North America. I think there are some things that are universal to a degree, but every country is different. Uh, every builder is doing things differently. So we're really looking forward to going over and hearing all the stories and seeing the work. And I do think that there will be a larger draw. Uh, I think that the USA show will always be the largest made show uh, just because we're able to draw from. I think that we've got an awful lot of media here. We've got a really captive audience, uh, but Australia is quite far away as I am soon to find out on that, on that <laughs> plane ride. <laughs> I've heard from people. Uh, so I think there are a lot of a lot of builders that, you know, having a maid in Australia will give them a chance to get global exposure and connect with media and consumers in a way uh, that they haven't before. And maybe there are some builders here from the United States that in 2025 decide that they're going to do both. Or maybe a builder here in the United States has already got great relationships with their customer base and the shops that they work with uh, here and they want to go dip their toes into another country and see what's going on over there and I think this will this will give builders an opportunity to get even more exposure for the work that they're doing yeah it's super exciting and congratulations on the launch of that event I can't wait to hear all about it I can't wait to see you in Portland again this summer definitely one of my favorite shows that I attended as a podcaster and just overall enthusiast. So thanks for all your energy, Billy, you put into the industry as a whole and into the MADE show. It is my pleasure. Uh, we're really looking forward to MADE this year. Uh, beyond looking forward to it, we're, we're thrilled. So it's hard to, hard to keep the excitement contained. Some days I get to talk with so many cool people all the time. And it's going to be a rad year for MADE and a rad year for the handmade world as a whole. And thank you for taking the time to, to chat with me, Craig. Of course, my pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Billy for coming on to the show. Super excited about Made 2024 in Portland and super excited for those of you down under in Australia, perhaps my cousin Tebow, to enjoy the Made Australia experience in 2024. Also, big thanks to our friends at AG1. Remember, check out drinkag1.com slash the gravel ride for those free travel packs and free supply of vitamin D plus K2. I hope you're doing well in 2024. And until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>